The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South. Tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom Three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with beat reporter Tom Shad and columnist Jeff Calkins. All right. What's up, y'all? We are back. Uh, yeesh. I guess is where we start. Uh, <laughs> yeesh. Yeesh. I mean, the, the score was 40 to 13, but really that touchdown, you know, on the last play of the game, they very right. well could have been in single digits, which is something that they haven't done in, I think, five years or something was, was the stat. I mean, it's, it had been a while. Or no, it was the Ole Miss game. That's what it was. It was Ole Miss in 2014. Mm. It was the last time they were in single digits. So, um, ugly, ugly performance. Um, we can talk about you that a little it. bit. It, UCF's, UCF's good, though. Right. That's, right. I mean, that's, you, you've been saying all along, UCF's good, and you said they'd lose that game. It, they, they were even though they were even better than... And I you think thought. a lot of it is like, just because we cover Memphis, a lot of it is looking at all of the things that Memphis did poorly, but you have to give UCF a ton of credit. Yes. For, I mean, they played. They were much better than I even thought they were going to be. And it's, they had in three, 350 rushing yards without their running back. Without their starting, their running, starting back. running back, it's, yeah. which went unmentioned. And, right. it, and it's amazing. I mean, the job that, that Scott Frost has done, I know that the coaching carousel stuff hasn't really heated up yet, but they were two years ago, they were 0-12. It's an inter- that job, it's interesting just walking around down there. And I know there are lawsuits connected with that stadium and stuff like con- con- concerning the construction of that stadium. But you look at the the campus, which is beautiful. You look at all the construction, which is astounding. You look at the on-campus stadium, which is you know I, I don't know what the structural flaws are, but it it it's a nice it's a nice scene there. Right, and then you realize they're in Florida. They probably should be better than I'm not saying this year, whatever. Like I think they have advantages as a program. Sixty thousand undergraduates. I mean, sixty thousand people go to that university, and so I think they do have advantages as a program. I'm not saying Memphis can't be a, a, as good or whatever else, but they should be good, and they are good. the The aberration was when they when they stunk. That's that's what I think. Looking back, it's like because not that I mean, there's obviously been some turnover in the past couple of years, but a lot of the guys on this team were also on that team two years ago. And so you just go and look back at I look back at twenty fifteen, it's like, geez, how did they how did they not win a single game yeah. with some of these guys? But no, they were good. Anyways, all the all the credit to them. Um I thought they they played a heck of a game. This but. is exactly like a coach's press conference where you say, Well first we want to tip our hats to Central Florida. <laughs> you know, exactly well, it's, it's true though. It, yeah. it is true. And I think I think part of it is just for me, I mean, I was kind of surprised, and I wrote this in the morning after and kind of on Twitter. Like, I was kind of blown away by the negativity from, and I know that it's a very small portion of the fan base that feels The social to- media during the course of the game, people were like, Ben Trally Ferguson. They, no, one, no one actually wanted to fire Norvell, but they were but people were, I mean, grumpy just- about Norvell, and they were grumpy about Riley Ferguson, and they were whatever. And you're like, do you realize what they had, these two like these people have meant to the program like Done. right it's just insanity i mean we can be accused of being negative but in the midst of a thumping like that the things that people say are insane it was yeah and that's why i think it's important to establish like up front I've, i feel like everything has been like and we will start i mean now going through kind of the things that that really they did badly killed them but it is important i think to off the top acknowledge you see i've played a really good game and that's a team 
I've been telling people I would rather face USF right now than UCF. Well, I mean, you know, they they went up and they beat Maryland. Then Maryland turns around and goes and beats Minnesota. Like, it's not like with the third-string quarterback. Everyone's right. like, wow, well, they beat Maryland, Maryland, at the third-string quarterback. Third-string quarterback just went up and beat Minnesota. So, it's like they beat a decent Maryland team. And... um and 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 dominated physically that game too, and then they obviously dominated. They dominated this game physically. Apart from everything else, we could talk about the mistakes, and the mistakes did matter. In the end, it was just a physical beating. That's what I think. I mean, I was going to go through a couple things. I mean, you can start with the turnovers, and no matter which way you slice it, you're not going to turn the ball over five times and win many games. Period. Um, right. Third downs, I think, were huge. And that is is a thing that continues to, I think, is just kind of bewildering, especially on the defensive side of the ball, how they can get in some, I mean, on that opening drive, you know, they they would get in third. And what was the one where, where Milton scrambled for a first down? It was like third that and 12. Not, or, been, they, they, on, the, on the opening drive, they were, they converted their first three third downs, two of which were third and short, but one was third and nine and one was third and 12. And then... Um, before the touchdown, they did actually stop him on third down, and then they went for it on fourth down and scored. And so, is it a surprise? I mean, here's we've seen this all year long. They can't get off the field on third down. And is it, and I was going to talk, I just think the defense isn't very good. And I don't know how good it would have been if it was fully staffed, if they hadn't had the run injuries that they've had. And I know you feel strongly about the young players they're playing and they're in positions that they weren't supposed to be in early and there's no one to send in now. There's no second wave. And so I acknowledge all that's a, a problem. But to me, when they get... It's a surprise when they stop people now. And so what ha- what'll happen is uh, someone will come through and make a great play, so there's a three yard loss that to me is the aberration, <laughs> you know, and so then you're back at at second and 13. And I guess I assume the next two plays, the offense will probably convert because they this defense does not make that many plays. They just don't. And 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 they don't make. Yeah, they'll make the occasional big play. But consistently, they're really I think have problems. They do. I think. I mean, I think all that's fair. I think How much do you attribute to the injuries? Some, but not all. I mean, I think the bi- the biggest thing, you know, I think obviously it's they're all kind of like interlocking issues or interwoven issues, right? So, like a big thing, you know, that all the players have talked about is communication. I mean, TJ right. Carter said after the game, Christian Johnson said it yesterday. Basically, there are just plays where there's confusion over what everybody's supposed to be doing. You saw it on that one, the one touchdown play where I think it was. I think it was TJ Carter on that side of the field, but it was a, it was a corner and then it was Tyrez Lindsay playing safety. And basically you could just tell as you watched it live, TJ Carter thought he was going to have help over the top. Right. Tyrez Lindsay was playing towards the middle of the field touchdown. And that's just a miscommunication. And that you can say, you know, you have new players out there. They're not used to it. You know, it's all kind and of that's, coming that's out. That's real, but that's also real. Like Tyre, that you're, you weren't expecting to be throwing these guys out there in this point, in this stage. Right. But also part of that is just, execution and the guys that are out there have a responsibility to the other thing they've had to do is because they have so many young players they've had to simplify their looks and their back fronts and stuff like that they have not been able to to be as sophisticated to defense as they've as they had planned to be i think that's another part of it so yeah that's very but so what it creates is this problem whereby and i don't think this problem's going away i think they're going to give up huge yardage big points for the rest of the year and so what it creates is a situation where offensively they have to be perfect. And we've seen this honestly for this team 
for a long time. It honestly, even under Justin Fuente 15, at the end, under Bowling Green, you could you beat Bowling Green because you outscored Bowling Green, but you never stopped Bowling Green, right? And 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 then you get to a game like Navy in twenty. We're talking about twenty fifteen, and it's and all of a sudden Paxton wasn't perfect. He didn't look good in that game. He wasn't making every throw. He Anthony Miller wasn't catching every pass, and all of a sudden. Because you, you, Navy's not going to get stopped, and so you lose that game, and so it's very familiar. It's, it reminds me of that. It's not. This is not just under Mike Norvell. It precedes him. That if the offense isn't perfect, if Riley Ferguson isn't, isn't throwing three tu- six touchdowns, then they're not going to be able to keep up with teams. And um, and and a they can't be perfect every game. And b the pressure to be perfect. I think. And I'm not trying to make excuses for Riley Ferguson, but why does he throw into stupid triple coverage the way he did? Like that was just moronic throw. Is it because he's reverted to how he was when he first, or is it, I do think he's feeling pressure to make things happen because I can't stop anyone. And again, it's on Riley. I'm not, whatever. But I think as you, you called it interlocking pieces. And I think that's what's happening here. The offense has to be perfect. And they were far from it. I think the time of possession goes into it too. And I think that's interesting when you talk about third downs and kind of getting off like that's, the, the defense, I think what surprised me is that on these third and longs, like entering the game, they were giving up on third and eight yards or more, 46% conversion. That's incredible. Which is Third cra- and just, eight or more, 46% of conversion. Just like statistically, mathematically, I Insane. mean, that is, that's just improbable. And so you would think that naturally, just by the law of averages, that will come down a little bit. That's been the really big surprise to me. But the problem is that, again, they're all related. So as... Kind of as you were talking about, like I think it all starts with your down guys on defense. So you have younger players playing. You have guys, you know, like Austin Hall, Jannard Avery, who are suddenly playing like every snap. So they're getting a little bit, you know, a worn down. And as Norvell said after the game, they're getting worn down. And then they're having long drives. They're not able to get off the field on third downs. That prevents the offense from getting in a rhythm. And then I think the offense feels pressure. You're not on the field much. And then they make mistakes and that's where it just kind of it's like a, a circular right. when they start making thing. if 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 you've got drop passes like you had you know on third down when you got anthony miller on third down dropping a pass that like yeah like that unfortunately you need your stock in the in the face of all of this you need your stars to be stars and they were not saturday and then honestly, the running game, which we'd started out the season with so much promise and has shown flashes of being very good, running game wasn't good against against Central Florida either. And and meanwhile, Central Florida could do anything they want in the running game. You know, running what it was ninety six yards, and so he's got a touchdown run. So you've got yeah, it was it was it was as Mike Norvell said, it was a perfect storm, and it's not the end of the world either. Like now you go to UConn, and you should. I think they'll beat the hell out of UConn. And then you have two games that set up the season. And, like, that'll be that. It'll be a home game against Navy. People will be feeling good. And if they could win, it becomes a signature win because you haven't beaten Navy, right? And so it's an opportunity for a signature win. But it's also, like, how the heck are they, how the heck are they going to get off the – how is the defense going to get off the field against Navy? That's what I – I thought kind of entering the year that maybe, you know – this coaching staff is the players have played against it now two years in a row. So you got guys like Jannard Avery again. He's faced it two years in a row. Hopefully you have a better grasp. I don't see how they're going to win that game. Because they're young guys. It's, it's not people who faced them two years right. in a row. It's people who are facing them for the first time. And it's, I mean, you think that the time of possession, like if, you, if you're struggling to control the ball against a team like UCF, 
I mean, against a team like Navy, you know, they're just going to have like that opening drive in the UCF game, like 17 play, 90 yard drive. Like Navy can just do that like clockwork. And they're not afraid on a fourth and two to go for it. And that's where I think that. So you stop them on third down. Oh, we stopped them on third down. Navy will just go for it and right. they'll just keep rolling. And I think that is one of the underlying issues, I think, with this team is just with how fast, even. And I asked Norvell this yesterday. You know, I said, are you mindful of how fast your offense is going? so that you take pressure right. off your defense. And he said, we were mindful of that, but when your offense is making mistakes, and that goes back to the pressure, and that goes back to the defensive injury. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's just created a kind of a really tough situation just in terms of times of time of possession right. and snap counts. Now, last year, you had a situation that you got absolutely hammered by Tulsa, right? Absolutely hammered by sure. Tulsa. And they were able to reset after that and come back and had a nice, you know, and beat Houston after that. And so... Maybe this, you know, again, this is one loss against the right side. It's against the East, which is good, right? And so why can't this be their Tulsa? Why can't this loss to UCF be this season's Tulsa? Where they sort of reset, they get players' attention. You got UConn next, beatable um, at the very least. Uh, You've got more reps for all the young guys. And then you go see what you can do against Navy and Houston, which will be a hell of a a task. Right, and I think think you're spot on about the... The Navy game. I mean, if you can get, I, I still think that's a tough ask, just because it's a short week, right? And you know how that it's going to be a physically demanding game anytime you play Navy. So that's a tough ask. But I mean, you win that Navy game, suddenly everything's in front of you, you know. Yeah. And then I think, I think from a confidence standpoint, they're back. You're back. And I bit. do think as long as you can beat UConn, it'll be a good crowd still. Like people were demoralized a little bit by that UCF game, but it'll still be a good crowd against Navy. It'll be a fun. It'll be fun. It'll be home. It'll be all of that. So so I'm looking forward to that. On the topic of Riley Ferguson, by the way, um, he was not good. And, you know, we've we've certainly talked about how he was not good. Um, what do you think went into him not being good? And. Then we've talked a little bit about this. After the game, he declined to to talk about uh, his play. And I took him to task a little bit on social media just because I think if you're a quarterback and you're going to talk, A, you want to be in the NFL, and B, you you talk after you throw six touchdowns against UCLA, you should talk when you turn the ball over four times um, against UCF. Where do you think Riley is right now? I think in in the UCF game he was definitely pressing. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I wrote in the morning after that you know Josh Rosen in the UCLA game afterwards you know referred to it as hero ball. He said he was trying to play hero ball. I think there was an aspect of that in what Riley was doing. Um, now I don't think that's the whole story because I think there were plenty of plays where he read the field properly, he threw it to the right guy, and the throw was behind him or the throw was low. You know it just wasn't a, it wasn't a spot on ball. And so I think right. some of it was just simple mistakes and that happens and and he kind of alluded to that yesterday too when he talked to us uh you know i think he recognizes that part of it was he just wasn't playing poorly but i i think riley just strikes me as the kind of guy that wants so bad to do everything right and to help and there i mean tons of players like that right. he just wants so bad and sometimes right. you just you just press and you try to force it yeah. i think i think two things i think he he does know 
I think he does want it for himself. I don't mean that this selfishly, but he knows it's a big year, right? He he wants That's it for it. himself. Sure, sure. But he also really does want it for the team. I really, when he talks about what this team means to him and what the second second chance has meant to him, I think all of that's true. I, I I believe it completely, and I do think he feels it on his shoulders. And um, I think they felt the delight of the city and everyone else in the community when they beat UCLA. And so I think he feels somewhat personally responsible for that. And by the way. While I took took Riley to task um, for not for not being more stand up in the in the wake of that loss, um, Anthony Miller came out and he talked, and he's he hasn't been good. Like I hate to say it, like he's been a stud for two years, but he wasn't good. Uh, obviously, was great against UCLA, but has otherwise had a couple in different games. But he was good. He came out and you know said he had to be a better. And then T.J. Carter is just tremendous. Um, the fact that he, as a freshman, has sort of emerged as a spokesman at a time when like everyone's going down with injuries, you want someone like that to step up. He is going to have a hell of a career at the University of Memphis. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that's if you want to be uh, I don't know what Josh Pastner called. What's the opposite of a negative Nelly? Positive Pos- Paul. Positive yeah. Paul. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a positive Paul, uh, you know. The defense is really taking its lumps, but next year, you think there's talent on this defense? Like, I think you have enough talent, and I think that I'm a big believer that time does matter when you switch. I think there's such a big reps. jump from like, yep. like TJ Carter when he was playing high school ball was probably just the most talented kid on any team, and so you just like out out talent everybody. You know, like you're just, you're just well, it's faster. Like, it's like it's like Tony Pollard or, when he said talks about kick returns. You just run out, run past everybody. Here, it's. We design our kick returns. They're very carefully calibrated to get uh, to create a hole, and it's a, it's a different deal. Get Mal Rosie just runs past everybody, right? And so I think that over time you'll see more of that growth, and I think it helps that a lot of these guys, like Tyrez Lindsey, the fact that Tyrez Lindsey's playing as a redshirt freshman, probably not ideal for the team, but I think long term it can only help him because he's, I mean, he's got a lot of athleticism, and they think he's going to be a really good player. So you take your lumps for a little bit, and then. You know, you see where the defense, and you can go kind of across the board. I mean, O'Brien Goodson, true freshman. Austin Hall feels like he's been around for a while. Right. He's a redshirt sophomore. Right. This is the makings of a good defense, just maybe not this year. But the, this, the, the, these pieces will become parts of a very good defense at some point. So how do, you, how do you see the UConn game? Uh, I mean, I'd set the over-under at like 800 passing yards or something. I mean, it's going to be great, like... Like UConn actually, believe it or not, UConn leads the American Athletic Conference in passing yards, which you would not suspect. Right. And they are, I think, dead last or second to last in passing yards allowed. And Memphis is the same thing. They're like 40th or something in the country in passing and like 126th right. in passing yards. So they're just going to throw all over each other. And I think it's just going to come down to Memphis needs to get a couple turnovers on defense and just win right. the shootout. That, that, by the way, I think is you put your finger on something because I don't think they can consistently stop people. They can get turnovers. Right. You know, you can have players make plays. You can have a strip sack instead of having, you know, the strip sack, rather give it, rather, you know, giving up the strip sack or you can have the pick. And so that's how they will. And it's honestly how the defense has been built is to try to create those turnovers. And so, uh, so that'll be critical. Obviously a, uh, obviously a big game for this program. Big, big game. But like you said, very winnable. I right. mean, we do like these, we do these power rankings where I, right. you know, get all the, and UConn has been last. I mean, I guess ECU was, was last the first couple of weeks, but for these past two weeks, UConn has been unanimously the, the worst right. team in the AAC. So, 
Um, obviously, Randy Edsel just coming back in his second stint. They have a lot of work to do. So this is a perfect kind of bounce back opportunity and on a short week, which I think is good. You know, you, you play Friday, get in like early Saturday night, and then you have an extra day to prepare for, for Navy the following All right. week. All right. I know you want, didn't want to do this because you um, don't like talking about yourself. Um, but this is your last podcast, and it is, in fact, your last University of Memphis football game after uh, after serving admirably as the beat writer as you head off to USA today. So uh, I won't make you do this for long. But um, you came here. You, had you ever been to the city at all? I came here to interview for the job. And that was the first time you'd set foot in the city. Same thing with me when I came here. Same thing. I have to say, like, I commend you threw yourself into the the place. You live downtown. You, like, embraced Memphis. Um, What's the what's it been like here for your stretch? It's been a blast. Um, And I was just I mean, I was just telling somebody yesterday, like, I think as somebody who hadn't been to Memphis and didn't really know anything about it, you just know that the Grizzlies are there and you think of it kind of like. Honestly, kind of like Oklahoma City or one of these other towns that has right. like one pro franchise. But in terms of fandom, I mean, it's as crazy here as anywhere I've ever been. I mean, just in terms like people here love sports like nowhere else. And so that's been really fun to be a part of. Um, and it's been a great city. I mean, it's it's very different than anywhere that I've ever lived. The South um, is different. It's very. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't. So I didn't even been to the South. Right. Before. So part of that is just right. been like adjusting to like. Right. A, a southern kind of lifestyle but it's been great um i'm excited to go back and and obviously it'll be a good uh good opportunity at usa today right i'm um, really excited it's funny it, the but. city is even different than when you came here though like it's, it's like changed. shelby farms had wasn't didn't there and big river crossing wasn't there like since you've been here it's 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 a different place than when you got here and that's what's been fun too you know just to kind of see even and i feel like some cities are kind of stagnant you know and even if they're great cities it's right. kind of like it is what it is and you really get the sense that memphis is like growing and there's new i mean crosstown concourse you right. know that's like there there are constantly things like that that are popping up that are new and you can just feel that it's kind of changing a little bit so and what do you think the challenge is ahead of this football program as you leave it uh uh after the yukon game Ooh, that's a good question uh i mean i think they've i mean long term it's just finding the right coach you know and if that's Norvell for a couple more years or if that's replacing him but I think I think fans get so caught up in in catching lightning in a bottle and having the perfect six bowl season whereas you just want to be good really if you can go eight and four every year that's how a really successful program is is built I think that's a good point and and as you kind of and that's that's between I think the biggest thing was you lose Fuente but then that last year to go eight and five you know and to not have a huge drop-off that's where you see a lot of these especially at this level when you change coaching staff or you lose a you know you lose a star quarterback, quarterback. or something there's just a precipitous drop off by the way i heard today good things about uh david moore have you do you do you are you able to watch how much do you see does he get a lot of what's someone close to the program was telling me that you know what it's going to be tough to lose riley ferguson but like they're not going to drop off a cliff in terms of quarterbacking david's been really i'd say he's been really impressive just as his growth from last year to this year. I think last year he just looked like a freshman. Right. And you could see some of the talent, but he just was not making good decisions with the ball. He was not really confident in what he was doing. And part of that was just he's a true freshman. Right. Uh, This year, I mean, like when he goes in there, he knows everything that's going on. He knows how. And I think that in some ways he is a better fit for this offense than Riley Ferguson. Because he's mobile. 
Because he's mobile. And there are a lot of plays like, I mean, you tweeted about the, the option plays. Now I'm like, oh, why are there an option? Like part of the things with these option plays is like nobody thinks that Riley's going to keep the ball. And right. if he does, he's at max going to get three yards and then like right. slide. You have David Moore on those option plays, it runs on these up. RPOs. It's a whole different ball game. The defense has to defend you differently. And then that opens up other things across the offense. So I think he's a he's a good fit. And I, if I had to kind of handicap it, I'd say he'd probably be the guy next year. I don't know if they're going to test the the JUCO market or try to go pick right. up somebody else. But um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a precipitous draw. I mean, there are a lot of guys on offense that are going to be hard to replace, but like you lose Anthony Miller and Phil Mayhew, who are great players, and you have Pop Williams, who's flashed, and DeMonte Coxie, who's flashed. And so, you know, I think that's kind of, you, when you talk about the long-term direction of the program, it's just making sure that when key guys leave you have guys you know talented guys kind of behind them and you can keep it going year over year and keep having good teams. well it has been uh, fun working alongside you we wish you the best and uh i can tell you the podcast is not going to end it's not ending we got mark giannato me maybe john varelis you never know but the, the the tiger football podcast will persist even in the absence you know it's a lot like a lot like you lose justin fuente you just, it's the you, you got to step up and you don't want to have that huge drop off after that happens and so we're going to try to go eight and five next week without you uh but uh, happy trails sounds good well thank you guys for listening uh every step of the way like jeff said that the podcast will continue still got a couple days left here on the beat but uh thanks as always for listening the tiger football podcast is hosted by tom shad and jeff calkins A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. (laughs) 